Good morning. So the, the youth are actually back um, teaching in uh, K through fifth this morning for the first time. So so that's pretty cool, exciting. Uh, so we'll see uh, we'll see if we can hear them, which will probably be a yes. Um, so good seeing everybody. I hope your uh, summer is going well. Um, this morning we are continuing in our study in Galatians. Okay, and and last week we saw what what Paul did is he. Sorry, my hands are still, you know, whatever, anyway. <laughs> um, my, uh, last week, Paul kind of flipped the side of the coin, right, and looked at the law and why the law was so powerless and worthless and weak and how it, it could not do what the promise could do. And so up to this point, going through, and we're going we're gonna to finish in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 and then go through all of chapter 4 this morning. So we've got, we've got a bit of scripture to read, um, but we're going to do it in, in chunks here. And what we're going to see is that Paul is actually going to now start to describe what this living in faith looks like. What this living by the promise looks like. like what are the benefits? If the, if the law has these negative things, if it was this temporary, weak thing that was just put in place for a time, okay, well, then now where are we? Right? We, we just saying, your presence is heaven to me. Do you feel like that? Is that, um, I'm sorry. Um, can somebody fix the lights? It's kind of it's kind of weird. It's like pulsing just a little bit. Um, um, sorry, um, my my pupils are doing this. No. Um, so like, why? Why does it matter? Like, we get the idea of promise versus law, I think conceptually, but really in our lives, how does that play out? And and what does the promise, what is living by the promise, like what does all that mean and, and faith? And, and so this is what Paul's going to do is he's going to dive in. He's going to say, okay, now that Christ has come, now that we're on the other side of this, now that the law has created this sense of needing God to rescue us and recognizing just how captive we are to our sin. Okay, good. The law has done what it ought to do. Now, what does Christ do for us? So that's what we're going to dig into this morning. Let me, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to read your scripture, to come together and worship you. This is the closest we can get to heaven, Father, is dwelling in your presence in the midst of our brothers and sisters in Christ, lifting up our voices, worshiping you, pondering over your word, pursuing it in our lives. God, this this is heaven for us. And it creates in us a, a longing for more, for more of you. And Father, I know that there are people in here listening right now just longing more than anything to be in your presence because this world is so painful. And the difficulties are enough but God, I pray that this morning as we open up your word, that you would just help us to see the comfort and the peace and the joy that you give us now and that you promise us in the future. We love you, Father, and we pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
All right, so there's really three things that we're going to read that Paul is going to say the promise gives us, that faith gives us. And the first one is that we are clothed in Christ. That's, that's the first thing that, that Paul's going to say, and I know it's kind of a weird thing. He's actually going to say that we put on Christ. Let's, let's read this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 25. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Remember last week we saw that the law was that guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, I'll just stop here real quick. That sons, sons and daughters. I'm going to use them interchangeably. It is not trying to say anything from a gender-specific thing. It is a general term, okay? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you have your Bibles open, circle that put on. In the military, we, we have these things, well, in the Guard, in, in the National Guard anyway, we have these like dress down days where you, you, you throw in money and you don't have to wear your uniform to work. Um, and it's like a fundraising thing, right? And so in the military, we all wear the same thing, turns out, Right? There's a reason for that. School uniforms, right? Like, like everybody, it's, it's even. Everybody's the same. I mean, there's obviously rank and stuff like that, but, but everybody looks the same. So when we have these dress down days, it's humorous because all of a sudden the person that you have talked to and known for a long time, all of a sudden you see them in their civilian attire and you're like, huh, <laughs> that's interesting. Never would have thought, right? So no kidding. There, so there's this one guy, and uh, you know, I won't call out his name or anything, but like I, I, we still work with him and stuff. And um, young dude, he's like 23, kind of kind of quirky, and like um, trying to figure out life. And he's he's a wonderful dude, and like always trying like asking questions about like financial stuff, like how do I how do I become an adult, basically some of these things, right? And all of a sudden, on one day, he shows up, well, on one of these dress-down days, and he's wearing straight-up red suspenders, a red bow tie, and an Irish patty cap. <laughs> we were like, wow. Now, you don't really say anything, but all of a sudden, like, like your mind just shifts. Right, like whatever you perceived of this guy before, all of a sudden there's this enigma that just got thrown in the middle of this. Um, and I mean, honestly, we stereotype according to dress. We do, right? Like, I mean, if you see people dress a certain way, you know, if you go to a job interview, you're probably not going to wear uh, board shorts and a tank top, right? Like, like we. I mean, it depends on the job, I guess. If you want to work for Spencer, then probably. Um, but like, like it just kind of depends on, right? Like we, we look at how people dress. Like there's just something to that. Not, that. not that you have to dress nice, but it's style, right? And it's, and it's people have just, what's our style? It's Christ. That's our style. And I mean, he even goes so far as to say, like it does not, and the, the three categories here that he lists off, first, Jew nor Greek, to, to the people he's talking to, those were the two categories of people. You have the Jews, and you have everybody else. But what he's talking about is a racial distinction. He's saying, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your skin tone is. It doesn't matter what country you come from. 
And then he says, it doesn't matter whether you're a slave or free. Now, this is another word that I'm going to be talking to a bunch in here. This idea was not racial slavery. This was bond servants, right? This was people who couldn't pay their debts and went, I can serve you. Like that's, that's the slaves often that, that they're talking about here. And so, so make sure that you're thinking about that in the right context. And so really it was a financial thing. He's talking about those who are free, those who are wealthy, and those who are bond servants, those who were enslaved to debt. He goes, it doesn't matter what your wealth is or your job. It doesn't matter whether you're a male or a female. Those characteristics are there really to demonstrate God's creativity. They are not there to position us one place or another. And right now, like, this country is, is going nutso, right? Not even this country, the world, right? Of, of creating divisions and saying, well, these are people like me, and these are people like me, and whatever category, I mean, you pick a category, it doesn't matter. It could be the electronic device in your back pocket right now is going to create a category and people will either emphasize it or de-emphasize it or fight for it or whatever. It's all about feeling better about ourselves. And so what does he say here? He's like, no, 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 you have put on Christ. That is your distinguishing characteristic. And so the question for us is, is it? Is it for us? When people see us wearing Christ, putting on Christ, and we're not talking about just some outer garment that you throw on when you come to church. We're talking about who we are. Do they see us differently? Because that's what he says, the faith, promise, living as sons and daughters of God, we wear different clothes. And we are recognized differently. And this isn't just some superficial thing. In fact, if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24... He says, and to put on the new self, same word, put on, right? So here Paul's transition, he goes, it's not just that we're putting on Christ, we actually put on a, a new us. We're like altogether new. And he says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Go even further to Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Renewed in our knowledge. So this isn't just an outer garment we're wearing. God is changing us to reflect Christ, the image of our creator. And how about 2 Corinthians 3.18? And... We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God changes us. We put on Christ. So what does this look like? That... I love that the, the renewing of your mind. I think that is, for me, like that's, that's what it is. It's, it's how am I thinking about my circumstances? That's really the difference, right? How do I react to my circumstances? 
And I don't know. I don't know what all you guys are going through, but we all cycle through life and go through different things. And, but if we're putting on Christ, we're going to respond differently. Why? Because we have this eternal focus. Because we know that we are reflecting the image of our creator. God is renewing our minds. And so when we're struggling with sin, we know that God has rescued us from that. We know that if we're living by the promise in faith, God isn't pleased or displeased with us in the sense that it's going to affect our relationship with him, right? He is constantly loving us and caring for us. If we're burdened or worried about the future, the renewing of our mind that comes through Christ tells us that God is in control. I mean, there's an answer to all of these things. This is why this is a worldview. Because no matter what circumstance you're going to, God has an answer to it. God knows. God has a plan. And so we go to Scripture. We renew our mind. We take captive every thought that we have, and we push it over there. And so this is what he gives us. And so this is why the community of believers is so important. This is why church is important. This family, this body of Christ is because, guess what? You're not going to come up with all these things on your own. You're, you're going to be reading through the Bible, right? And you're going to get some, and, but it might take me or somebody else saying, hey, have you thought about it this way? Or have you read this scripture? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's how God renews our minds. And so that's the first thing that we get, right? Like that's, that's a gift to us. That enables us to live in this world in a wholly different way, completely different. But there's a second gift that he gives us. We are heirs of the kingdom, Let's read uh, Galatians chapter 4. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what Paul does is he backs up again, right? And he says, do you understand that before you were slaves to the elementary principles of the world? What is he talking about here? He's talking about self-righteousness. He's actually going to talk about it a little bit later, a couple more verses when we get to it. And he's talking about morality and laws, the elementary principles of the world, like the things like if you go out into the workplace, the things that are going to keep you employed <laughs> or lose your employment, you work hard, you'll get paid. You'll have a job. You don't work hard, you're probably going to get fired, right? Your, your boss is going to be pleased with you if you do good, displeased with you if you do bad. That's the, that's the elementary principles of the world. And we, what we do as humanity is we take that and we apply that to our relationship with God. 
And we feel as though the more we do good, the more God's going to love us. And if I do something bad, uh, maybe he's not going to love me as much. And so this is what he's saying. He's like, you were enslaved to that. But now you are sons. You've been, you've been transferred. So it's, it's, it's actually pretty interesting, right? Because it, think about it. And you got to think about this in the context of, you know, uh, first century, right? Is you've got slaves, bond servants, and sons and daughters, right? Like, like maybe think of like a farm, right? Or agriculture or whatever, right? In, in fact, like this is kind of how um, I grew up a little bit, not, <laughs> not like agriculture. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll just keep going. Um, so I work, uh, Saturdays were our work day at the house. Like that's when we did all of our lawn work and all of that stuff. And it was like, hey, you know, you got to get all this stuff done. And my dad always had a checklist. And, and, um, and then when we were done doing it, then we could go ride bikes and we could go do whatever we wanted. And, you know, but like you had to do the stuff. And, and occasionally my dad would hire a day laborer and, and he would come and his name was Gus. And we, I, I, I grew up with Gus, like we all just work together, right? Um, he got paid more than I did because <laughs> I was a kid. Um, but, but why were we working? Um, my, my metaphor falls apart a little bit here because I was working because my dad made me work and I was actually in fear of punishment, right? Um, so it, it's not the greatest metaphor, but, but he was a work, like he was going to get a paycheck, right? Like, Imagine if I was going to take over the house. Someday when I grew up, I was going to have the house. Would I care a little bit more? I would be working for a different why than Gus would have been. Gus was trying to pay the bills. I was not. <laughs> I would have much rather been riding my bike. Right? But there's different whys. And what he's, what he's saying here is that, that we have the spirit of the son that cries out, Abba, Father. That's like Daddy. That's, that is a relationship. That's an intimate relationship that God gives us through this faith. It's totally different. It's, we're not just picking, well, do you want to obey the law or do you want to live by faith? Ah, I don't know. Let's do faith. That's not how this works. Like, it is fundamentally different. You know, we, we actually use the term serve, I think, and we were talking about this a little bit in the pastors on WhatsApp this week, but I think we misuse the term serve, honestly. Um, so I have to be extra careful about how I interact with my kids because this whole pastoring thing is, is like, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to raise kids as a pastor and like, you know, we have a work day yesterday, I'm like, Go hang out by the pool. Sorry, we got to be gone. You know, whatever. But, but the, the one piece that will slip out of my mouth at times is, are you working at church on Sunday? I'll say that. And, or, or they'll say that. I'm like, ooh, don't say work. Don't say work. It's not work. I'm setting up. It's about 15, 16 people on a Sunday morning. Are we just like putting on a show? Right? Like, are we just like, hey, we got the show from 10.30 to 11.30, and we got to hit this every Sunday morning. We got to make sure, like, we're trying to get better and better at this thing. 
And, and we need people to help be cogs in the wheels to just make the show run. That would be a servant, serving out of obligation, serving an institution, serving the church organization. I'm trying to say this right. But what are we really doing? We're participating. We're we're coming together, all bringing our different times and resources and all these things to participate in the worship of God in different ways to allow the gospel to be proclaimed, right? Whether that's from my mouth or somebody else standing up here or from Warner or from the band worshiping or you guys fellowshipping with one another, right? People can have a conversation because their kids are being watched and now there's some discipleship happening all of this, and we're going back and we're renewing each other's minds because we're pointing back to Scripture and what Christ has done for us and in our lives. We're participating in the kingdom of God as sons and daughters. That's what we're doing. That's what we should be doing. And so we need to, same thing, take captive our thoughts because it is very easy for us to get to the path of just going, I'm just kind of doing my thing, and like we all kind of have to do things. I mean, that's the dangerous part, is that there's this pull for us to get sucked back in to being slaves. It's really weird, because when we look at it, and this is why Paul goes, I'm perplexed about you guys. You guys must be bewitched. Why would you go from freedom to slavery? Why would you do this? Either you didn't really see how deep your slavery was or you really haven't experienced the freedom in Christ because if you actually evaluated these things on a scale, there's, there is absolutely no comparison. And I think that's something that all of us, me included, like we got to continually be checking this because, because I think there's just a danger for us to start falling back into a mindset of slavery. One where we serve because of social obligation, fear of damnation, that's obligatory. I'll just tell you right now, if, if you're in a place where any of those things are happening, and, you, and you, please, Tell, tell us, we do not, that is not what we want as pastors of the Crossing Church, right? Like, that is not good for your soul. Here, if you've ever read Screw Tape Letters uh, by C.S. Lewis, it is an incredible, um, incredible book. And what he talks about is the deception of Satan. And in it, he describes this attitude specifically where he says, you know what? Satan wants you to serve church. Satan wants you to feel obligated to come here. Satan wants you to feel like you have to do things in order to be saved. Because if he can get you to a place of slavery in the church, it's more effective than being a slave to the world outside the church. You see, we have to be wise to the deceitful schemes. And this is when he says the elementary principles of the world, we're going to read on the next. There's, there's, there's bondage in that. And there's a temptation for us to slide back into that place. 
So God gives us Christ, to put on Christ, right? He makes us heirs, like an inheritance. The kingdom of God is ours. We're sons and daughters. We're coming, we're participating because we want to see the kingdom advanced. We want to see and hear lives changed, people saved. That's what we want. But now read through what he says here in uh, verse 8. He says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days, months, seasons, and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You want to be slaves. I don't think anybody in this room would go, sounds great, sign me up. And yet, our lives reflect that we do. It's like this constant pull of gravity just pulling us back into slavery. And the question we got to ask is, is why? why? Why does that happen to us? And maybe you're not convinced it, it does happen to you. But I think it does if, you, if we stop and really think. You see, what does slavery look like? It looks like we are in control of our lives. That's what it is. Right? It's, it's us creating, following the law, creating rules, morality, self-righteousness, us determining, being in control of our lives. That's, that's the whole thing. Right? Do you want control of your life? Or do you want to give control and faith and trust to God? Those are the difference. That's the slavery. That's the son. That's the balance here. And we're getting pulled back because we want control so desperately. Now, last week we talked about being in our cell and the law opened our eyes to reveal the walls. And, and so Christ rescues us and we run out of the cell and we're like thrilled and we're free. And then we go, yeah, but they brought meals to me. Maybe I'll go back. It's a little bit easier honestly, to be in the cell. I don't have to do a whole lot, and I don't, it's not confusing. I mean, I get up when they tell me to get up. I go to bed when they tell me to go, go to bed. It's way easier to just follow rules. We get sucked back into the slavery because we just like to be able to determine our lives. I want to I do good things on my terms when I want to do good things, probably when people are watching. And I want to do bad things when I want to do bad things. Probably when people aren't watching. (laughs) And I want to determine when the switch flips, when I need to put on my Christian face, and when I don't. That's the slavery that we're all in bondage to. That pulls us back over and over again. So Paul's going, do you see this? Do you see how desperate you are? You want to live by faith and the promise. You don't want this slavery. So then Paul's going to make this personal appeal. And look at this in verse 12. He says, and, and for the next uh, what eight verses, 
listen to the emotion in Paul's voice. That's all we're going to get out of these next eight verses is just, and I want you to think like, do I feel this way about others? Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. I'll pause there for a second. A lot of people, and he's going to talk about his eyesight. Nobody really knows what was going on with Paul. But as he was traveling around, they basically took him in and cared for him for a significant amount of time. And so they served him in this respect. And so this is kind of what he's referencing. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Now stop there for a second. This is probably the thing that stops us the most from sharing the gospel is that we don't want to tell people the hard truth. We don't want to tell people that your seeking control over your life is going to damn you to hell. We don't want to say that. We would rather them go skipping to hell thinking that they're good. No, I'm serious. Like, I'm not... That is what we do. That is how we live. And now whether that's cultural or not, I don't know. But, but we know people. You all know people, right? That you're like, I know that the light, that I see the effects of the world on them and how it's, and I've got the answers, right? Because Christ gave us the answers and yet I won't share it with you because, well, I got to tell you, I got to start with the beginning of the gospel, which is you need Christ, and that's the toughest part. And so Paul's going, listen, I was just telling you the truth, and you don't like me now. He's like, what happened? You loved me. You cared for me. You took on my burden, my trials. And now all of a sudden I tell you the truth, and you're going to cast me aside. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. He's talking about those Judaizers we talked about before, right? They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How passionately does Paul want them to know Christ? I'm not going to go so far as to say, I don't know how he could relate to what the anguish of childbirth was. We're not going to open that can of worms. But a lot. More anguish than we feel, I think. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. He's passionate. He's passionate for these people. He's passionate for his family and friends, his coworkers, right? Like the people around us that we know, they, they just, you're not... Listen, I can, I can tell you the gospel. The gospel solves this problem in your life. Christ solves this problem in your life. Knowing God, knowing his sovereignty, knowing salvation changes everything. And we need our minds renewed. And it's not because we're being obedient, because we're doing the right thing. It's because Christ rescued us. 
In the last 10 verses of Galatians chapter 4, he's going to give this huge metaphor, and this is going to take us to our third point, which is that the gospel, that living by faith gives us true freedom, like real freedom. He says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So if you guys don't know the story here, right? God promised a child to Abraham and Abraham didn't want to wait for that promise. And so he went and found, and, uh, um, and Sarah wasn't delivering him a, a child. And so he went to his mistress, Hagar, and they had a kid, Ishmael. And then God fulfilled his promise and Sarah delivered a child um, Isaac. So that's, that's the context that's going on here. And he says, for it's written that, oh, by the way, all the Jews would have considered themselves children of Isaac. Ishmael was cast out, not a part of Israel, okay? So you put that context in, right? He says, the son, uh, in verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. What he says here, he totally flips it on him. And he says, no, no, Mount Sinai, you remember where the Ten Commandments came from and the law and all of this? That's actually Hagar. That's slavery. You, you picked the wrong family tree here. Like, you, you, you could have been a child. And I know you thought you were a child of Isaac, but because you're under the law, you're actually a child of Hagar. That would have been repulsive to them to hear this. That would have been extremely difficult. He says, but the Jerusalem above, right? And he says, oh, and that, by the way, that's in Jerusalem. But the Jerusalem above heaven is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. See that? Inherit. Heirs. Listen, if you're going to pick the law, you, this, is, this is true freedom, right? Like You can't pick the law and have some of the gospel. You can't pick self-righteousness and Christ's righteousness. You can't. You're picking one or the other. And what he's saying here is that you don't understand. Like, like if you're going to try to find your righteousness in the law, you will not be an heir. Inherit eternity with Christ. This is our true freedom, you guys. You see, we, we think all the time that, that freedom is just the ability for us to do whatever pleases us. That's not freedom. Because what pleases us puts us in bondage. And we all know that to be true. 
And so what he's saying here is that you got to understand that, that this faith, trusting in God, trusting in the salvation through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he has given us his righteousness, that's what makes you an heir. That's what gives you the Holy Spirit. That's what rescues us, allows us to put on Christ. That's what allows us to overcome the obstacles in this world. That's what pulls us up. That's what gets us back up on our feet when we're struggling with depression or anxiety or we're, or we're dealing with turbulent lives. It's because we know that our God is sovereign and that he loves us and that he's using all all things for our good and his glory. And that's what the world needs to hear. The world needs to hear that all the things that they're pursuing are never going to bring them the contentment that Christ brings us as heirs and children of the King. Let me pray.